The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. So in junior high, there are two places where the depravity of man is most vividly on display. Can you guess where those two places are in junior high where the sinfulness of man is on display? Number one, gym class. And number two, the cafeteria. Gym class first. When a gym teacher hands the keys of power to two athletic specimens and says, you, you pick teams. Human dignity and human worth then becomes decided. The first pick struts and smiles as hearing their name out loud marks them as worthy number one draft pick right here the middle picks breathe a sigh of relief that at least they weren't the humiliated one but the last pick the scrappy four-eyed brace-faced bookworm hangs his or her head in shame as they walk what probably feels like miles to their sighing and disappointed teammates. Oh, we've got him. Oh, she's on our team. And just an hour after this humiliation, it's lunchtime. And the cafeteria tables are also marked with these unseen signs that say, worthy table, unworthy table. And the last pick holds their tray, scanning quickly for a place where they could sit unnoticed. I don't think there's anything more heartbreaking than a junior hire sitting at a table all by themselves, head down, avoiding eye contact, pretending the most interesting thing in front of them has to be the mechanically separated chicken patty on their plate. I want each of us this morning to take a look in our hearts and our heads right now and ask, Are there people sitting in this room or outside of this room you wouldn't want at your table or you wouldn't want on your team or you wouldn't want in your church? Why do we think that way? Well, because our first parents, Adam and Eve, their hunger for the knowledge of good and evil left them with a plate full of pride. We're naming other people's flaws as bad and ignoring their own sinfulness became the operating procedure of humanity. Adam got caught red-handed disobeying God. And what does he say? He throws his wife under the bus with the woman you gave to me. She made me do it. Blaming both God and his bride. And then Eve is addressed. 
and points quickly to the serpent who was with her in the garden who made her do it. We separate ourselves from those we believe are worse and connect ourselves with those who we believe will make us look better in human estimation, according to human terms. Who will raise our approval ratings if we associate with them? Who could downright embarrass us if we're with them? But friends, Jesus operates on a completely different scale. He doesn't care about status. What does he care about? He cares about need. Look so far at who Jesus has shared a table with in the Gospel of Mark. I'll just give you a quick list. Chapter 1, struggling fisherman, a demon-possessed man, a feverish woman, a leper. Chapter 2, a paralytic, a tax collector, a sinner, sinners. Chapter 3, a man with a withered hand, his hot-headed, confused, doubting 12 disciples, which includes a betrayer. Chapters 5 and 6, a maniac, a bleeding woman, a dead daughter, 5,000 hungry, poor, lame, and sick. These aren't qualified, educated specimens of people. These are not folks you'd find at the full cafeteria table. These are need machines that Jesus is spending his time with. And what's interesting throughout so far in Mark is these need machines, these people that Jesus is sitting with at these tables, they don't even understand fully what Jesus is saying. They don't get his parables or his teachings yet. In fact, the only people who might just begin to understand what Jesus is saying about his mission and about who he is in light of the kingdom of God, these people are starting to want him dead. No one understands Jesus fully and why he's spending all this time with these need machines. Until this chapter in Mark. When a last pick. Someone completely unexpected. Hears one of Jesus' parables. And says in faith. You are what I need. And at that moment. The most powerful. Influential. Worthy person. Whoever stepped foot on the earth. Picks her for his team. And says to her, have a seat at my table. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. And from there, the there being the Jewish region of Galilee, Jesus arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. These are Gentile cities along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Gentile territory. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet Jesus could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is God's word. Today, I want this passage in Mark to answer one simple question for us today. What does the family table in the kingdom of God look like? What does the cafeteria table, if you will, in the kingdom of God look like? Well, there's three qualities of this table, the kingdom table. That when we recognize the kingdom table, when we recognize heaven's table with the Spirit's help, What's going to happen to us? We will be compelled to do some rearranging of our own tables on earth as it is in heaven. Three qualities. And the first quality is this. The kingdom table is set in the midst of the worst and the least. The kingdom table is set in the middle of the worst and the least. Verses 24 to 26. Verse 24 says, Jesus went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. We don't know exactly why Jesus left the region of Galilee, but we can assume, based on what's happened thus far, is that the heat is on. It's been turned up by the religious and political leaders of the day. Jesus has just called out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees in the past verses. Jesus has just spooked Herod with his healing powers. And the crowd is wanting Jesus as their king to overthrow the Romans. And so Jesus doesn't want anyone to know where he's going. Why? Because it's not yet time. It's not yet time. But you also wonder if Jesus heads out, if he doesn't need some more intense and undistracted time with his disciples. And so he goes to a place where it would be least expected for a Jewish crowd or a Roman leader to find you. Where does he go? He goes to the doghouse. Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon is a place inhabited by Israel's bitterest enemies. It would be today like a Jew renting a room in Palestine-occupied Jerusalem. It would be like an African-American getting a hotel in the deep Confederate-flagged South. It would be anyone stepping foot in East St. Louis if you've ever been there. You don't go there. You don't go to East St. Louis. You'll get messed up there. You may even get killed there. We call it the doghouse. I called it the doghouse because dogs in Scripture were associated with uncleanness. And it became a term of insult to refer to any non-Jew, any Gentile. The rabbis would say this, the people of the world are like dogs. But in these first few verses... 
we must hear Psalm 23, a very familiar psalm, ring in our ears. You prepare a table before me, where? In the presence of my enemies. Jesus sets up his table there. Verse 25 sets the table not only around the dogged worst Gentile enemies, but also around the least. As an unclean last pick, here's word of Jesus' arrival. And she barges in and falls at his feet in worship. Not only a Gentile dog, a female Gentile dog. A woman. Not only a woman, but a woman whose daughter is possessed by an unclean demon. The tradition of the elders wouldn't dare allow a pagan dog, let alone a pagan woman dog, let alone a pagan woman dog with a possessed daughter to come near them. If Jesus is here in Tyre to give his disciples, who are Jews, an undistracted teaching of his kingdom mission, then here it is. We set our table among the worst and the least. Here is someone who is truly in need. We read this morning, Karen read for us in the book of First Kings, as the prophet Elijah was directed by the Lord to go to the same region where Elijah met a desperately needy woman in the worst of shape. That woman was gathering sticks for her and her child. Gathering sticks, not wood, sticks for her and her child to have their last meal together. With what little left they had, they were starving And she had just a few crumbs and a trace of oil to be able to cook their last meal. And Elijah meets her in her need. And with a word, God grants this desperate dog a flower jar that never runs out. Grants her a jug of oil that will never empty. God meets the worst and the least because the worst and the least are the ones who know their need. Church, our table, our tables need to be set accordingly in the presence of our enemies around the worst and the least. Because there's food we have that will never run out. There's food here that can meet any human soul's need. Jesus, in demonstrating to his disciples and to us that the people of God are not huddled in an upper upper third floor room in the Titletown building, just waiting until Jesus comes back. Let's just stay here until he comes back. No. We are in the middle of Green Bay. Right smack dab in the center of a town where at this city center, you will find those in the worst shape and those who are the least noticed. God sets up our table right here. But not just here. Where else, friends? Students. Where else? 
Set your lunchbox down at the table of the loner. Set your laptop down in the break room with the loser. Pull a stool up at the bar with the lonely. Where do you not want your table? Where are you concerned maybe that your table could get scratched? Jesus, in the last chapter, declared all foods clean. And in this move of setting up his table in Tyre and Sidon with a widowed dog and a woman falling under the table, Jesus is declaring all people can be made clean. All people can be made clean. This table is set around the worst and the least. And it's also secondly set for the immediate family and for the adopted family. Jesus, on first glance, appears really rude to the woman, doesn't he? He was acting as would be expected of a Jewish rabbi encountering a Gentile woman dog. The woman declares her need, take the demon out of my little girl. Please take this demon out of my little girl. And the same account in the Gospel of Matthew Jesus doesn't even say a word back to her. He doesn't respond at all. And here in Mark, what he does say sounds incredibly condescending, doesn't it? Let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That is, if you don't view this exchange as a battle of wits as a test of faith, as a wrestling match, as a parable that he wants her to understand. The Greek language might help to illustrate this. In essence, Jesus says literally this. Let me satisfy the hunger of the kids first. For it wouldn't be right to take away their bread and give it to the family pet. That's what he says. She doesn't hear Jesus calling her the typical derogatory word for a dog. She hears pet. Jesus, in his parabled response to her need, says, I'm first here for my immediate family, for the Jews. Then eventually the pets within the house will be able to eat. He's throwing a parable, a riddle at her that only a heart which sees with kingdom eyes can understand. And it's interesting when you look at the woman's response. She responds with the verb apokrinomai, which is a response for solving a riddle or for making a verdict. She's declaring something back to Jesus. She says, Lord, but even the pets under the table get access to the kids' crumbs. And when she talks about the kids' crumbs, she changes the word children in the Greek from what Jesus has said, which is technon, which is biological kids. She changes it to paideon, which would be a term that would include both children and servants in a household. Just a few days later, excuse me, a few days prior, Jesus had fed 
5,000 hungry Jews. Do you remember what remained after the feast? Twelve basketfuls of bread. And this woman, in this moment, understands there is plenty of Jesus to go around. There is a supply of him that can fill the bellies, not only of family members, not only of us, the church, but extended family members, then servants, then dogs, then dare the cat hater say cats. The children of God, the Jews, are not left hungry. They are satisfied, the scripture says. But so too is everyone else in the household. She knows what no one else seems to understand about the mission of Jesus and the kingdom of God. Because do you remember Psalm 23 again? It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And what happens? You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Israel is given an overflowing blessing to everyone surrounding them. And who's surrounding them? Their enemies. What a powerful picture that the grace of God doesn't run out. There's plenty to go around. My sister and my brother-in-law have four adopted children who have all the same biological mom but four different dads. And the two oldest brothers came to Cody and Brad very, very broken. Sam, the younger one, when he came to Cody and Brad, I think he was about three years old, maybe? Three or four? And he was unable to speak as a result of neglect. The crib, his crib was his parent. A bottle of milk was his mom. And his two-year-old brother, or two-year-older brother, was his dad. So that the sugars from the milk that he had in his mouth all the time in the crib caused his front baby teeth to rot. And the oldest, Isaiah, was about six in order to protect his brother, withstood other abuses inflicted upon him from really bad guys. Bad boyfriends. And their two younger sisters were put into Brad and Cody's hands immediately, right from the hospital. So Cody jokes. She's like, Anything that gets messed up with them, that's on us. (laughs) But at their adoption proceedings, the judge took a powerful moment to lock eyes with Cody and Brad, saying to them, you have changed these kids' lives forever. Thank you. It's not been easy for Cody and Brad to extend their family table. But the blessing they received in the grace of God became the overflow that they gave. Here, here are the breadcrumbs. Plenty of Jesus for Cody and Brad to share with Isaiah, with Sam, with Maddie, with Willow. This 
is what the Gentile woman is asking for. The overflow. This is what our tables on earth need to look like as well. Where we don't hoard Jesus, church. Our mission as All Saints Church has a table as a logo to remind us of this reason. A table where we are guests bringing Christ's blessing to other people's tables. A table where we invite friends to share in Christ's blessing by coming to our dinner table. And where we hope that the family table will grow with more and more adopted children. Least and worst of these will receive the food and the drink that Jesus has in abundance. Are you matching wits with your enemy? Are you having conversations like Jesus has with this woman? Are you sharing your overflow with the people around you who are in need? It's a blessing we've received that we extend to others. The last quality of the kingdom table is not only set among the worst and the least. It's not only for immediate but adopted family. The table of the kingdom is set where Christ, the king of the Jews, serves as savior to the world. The last few verses, 29 and 30. What you see here, some commentators write that the woman strong-armed Jesus to change his mind. I don't think that's what's going on. Jesus knew what was going on before she even opened a word of her mouth. But Jesus marvels at the woman's faith in him and the supply that he offers. He says to her, for this statement, this profession of faith in him as food, as bread that doesn't run out, Jesus says, go. The demon is gone. In essence, he's saying to her, Christ has taken residence in your home now. And in the account of Matthew, Jesus goes from aloof to saying to her, dear woman, you have such huge faith. In wrestling with Jesus, she now understands the kingdom table. She allows herself to be renamed and remade by Jesus. She is now, friends, a true Israelite, a chosen child. Because to be a true Israelite, a righteous one of God, it requires only one thing. What is that thing? Faith. It's not a righteousness which comes from the law which the Jews believed was the way of salvation. It's a righteousness which comes from the head of the table, from the Lord of the feast, from the king of the Jews who kept the law perfectly. It comes from him, a person. You remember the final night Jesus had with his disciples before he was crucified? He didn't stay at the head of the table. He got up, he took off his outer robe, and he grabbed a towel And became a servant. Washing their feet. Making them clean. He demonstrates to his disciples. This is why Israel. This is why the church friends. Is in the world. To save the world. Through serving the world. Meeting desperate needs around us. No other way. But the way down. 
on a knee, on the ground, on the cross. And the woman came home to find her daughter clean, free of oppression, as she put her arms around her little one, no longer convulsing by what had hijacked her body, but she was at peace. I'm certain that tears were streaming down her face as she remembered the face and the grace of the one who said to her, you can come sit at my table. The one who treated her not as a dog, but as a precious child. This is what our table church needs to look like. Servants of the king, clothed with towels, not with tuxedos. Overflowing what we have with those in need. You remember Psalm 23? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord, the table of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy, like a boat's wake, will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness, giving to those around our table what they need, the food of Jesus. Mercy, offering to those around our table what they want, his compassion poured out on them. May this be our table. I saw this on display as a parent who's now having to attend track meets. I didn't know this. Those of you who have older kids, you've probably seen this at track meets. But goodness and mercy follows at a track meet. Laura Nielsen, who's often with us, was there, and I can see her from the stands as I'm watching the mile, I think it was. And the mile is a tough one for junior hires, isn't it? Four laps. And there was one kid who was signed up for the mile who was not ready for the mile. And he knew it. He was lapped maybe even a couple of times. But I saw Laura down about 100 feet from the finish line with goodness and mercy trailing behind her. As she was down on her knee, you got this, you got this. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You can do this, you can do this. And just like, what in the world? The worst and the least was being cheered on to come to the table You're almost there. Goodness and mercy was following Laura all the days of her life. A table was set in the presence of the worst and the least. A table set for the superstars and the adopted family. And a table set with Christ and us serving, serving to show that the Savior of the world is here. Find your place at this table, all saints. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for setting the table and setting our table as a church in the presence of our enemies. Lord, it'd be so easy for us to just gather up, lock arms, stay huddled, Stay locked up on the third floor of the Titletown Brewing Building. But Lord, that's not what you have for us. You set our table in the presence of our enemies. 
would you remind us that as the table is set there, we receive such good and gracious gifts. We receive food and drink that overflows. And Father, may we remember that that food or drink is not just for the church family. That we may extend the invitation to come to a table of grace to those you want to adopt as your own. And we pray, Father, that we as your people would do as you did at the table. Lay down our lives. Serve others so that they may see that Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom, as a payment for many. Do that work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.